All right. Well, we are in the mi- mi- we are in the middle of a series on emotions, and uh, the Nichols Road campus is doing emotions in general, and I'm doing something very similar. I'm, I'm doing it more focused on the emotions of God. So the intro week, we talked about how important emotions are and that they're good. They're not bad. God has emotions. You have emotions. However, they all are fallen and they need to be managed. So we talked about that. Week two, we talked about jealousy, specifically the jealousy of God. And we talked about how that's not a bad thing. It's, it's unique to God, the way he feels jealousy. And it's actually completely appropriate. And we unpacked what that's like. And then last week, we talked about God's anger or the wrath of God, which I actually really enjoyed unpacking. I'm going to be honest. And I think I tied last week into this week already a little bit because we touched on the motivation of God's anger, which at the core of it all is love. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight is all fun stuff. Tonight is what people want to preach on all the time, and I get to do it tonight, undiluted, and that is the love of God. God, let me speak rightly, bravely, and not sickly. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a mighty prayer of power. Okay, first off, I could cheat, and I could just say, God is love, and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and build a message on that. I'm not going to do that, because... If I leave it at that, if I leave it hanging and I just say God is love, something very interesting happens. And then whatever our idea of love is gets put on God. There's a follow-up question that we very, very rarely ask. And that is, if God is love, what is God like? Because then we get to find out what love is like. It's very dangerous to put our ideas of love onto God and say, God, this is what you're like. God gave us a really big book. And he is still speaking to us today because he wants us to know him well. Right? We talked about that in the Jealousy Week. So today we're going to unpack this love idea. God is love, by the way. There is a typo on your notes. The first verse is a typo. On your notes it says, according to 1 John 1.8, and I promise you, solemnly swear that if you go to 1 John 1.8, you will not find the sentence, God is love. Because... That's in 1 John 4, 8. So go ahead and make that notation, my bad. But John does say that. He says, if you're not loving, you're not from God, because God is love. Bam. Done. And I believe that the Bible teaches, and a lot of scholars do, that love is the core of who God is. It's his very essence. It's his, like, prime attribute. It's not just one of many. He's not loving and sometimes angry, and justice. He is love, and he has other aspects. But love is the core. Love is the foundational truth about God. God is love. And if you read Paul's letter to Colossians, and hop over into the New Testament, Paul talks about us like this is how we're supposed to treat love. In Colossians 3, verses 9 to 14, he's telling the church in Colossae, he's like, look, guys, You remember the train wrecks you used to be, right? And all the stuff you used to do. And he lists things. Paul does not have a problem listing things. And he says, hey, you have put off that old man with his deeds. And you have put on the new man. And then he sticks with this putting on and putting off analogy. And he says something kind of cool, which I'm going to read. 
Therefore, since you put off the old man and put on the new man, clothe yourselves. This is verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See how he's, like you're getting dressed, right? You're putting on one attribute, putting on another attribute. And then he says, over all of these virtues, the trench coat, over all of them, binds them together. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians 3.14. Love is supposed to be our prime attribute as well. Not just loving sometimes to some people, and then we have all these other aspects of us, but I believe that the true Christian who is taking on the heart of God and the character of God will be marked first and foremost by love. That's what we should seek to give off to people, whoever they are. I'm going to choose two, just two, attributes of God's love to unpack a little bit today. The Old Testament, by the way, has a passage where God tells his number one man at the time, Moses, what he's like. God tells Moses this because Moses asked. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, okay. Wild. Meet me on the mountain, and I'll cause my glory to pass in front of you. When Moses meets God, God declares who he is. He declares his attributes. Moses is finding out what makes God tick. What is God's personality? What is he like? He cares to know, so God is telling him. And in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, this is what God says to Moses. This, by the way, is one of my favorite verses and also kind of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, actually Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, implied there is thousands of generations, thousands of generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And then he says this confusing thing we've unpacked before. He does not leave the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Had a wonderful professor unpack that for me, and he said there are some things you need to understand. One, this is a weighted statement. God puts his number one priorities first, and he only tags on this justice thing at the end. Because that's how much God loves to give mercy more than any type of punishment or justice. He loves mercy. The other stuff is tacked on because he's holy and he's righteous and it's necessary for him to be good. He will do that. But he wants Moses to know, look, I am so eager to forgive. This attribute he leads off with, this compassion thing, blew my mind. But we shouldn't let this bother us about God because this is a remarkable statement about God's character with a somber judgment that he will eventually judge. As we talk about love, we can't forget that he's also justice. Sometimes a trend. <clears throat> that was a rabbit trail I wasn't intending on going on. I'm going to blame the sick thing all I can. We're going on. God leads off with this attribute. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate God. Compassionate. I learned from some cool people. I know I've said that before, and I love to give them props. Because... I got to listen to a guy lecture on this verse who thought it'd be a really good idea 
to spend years and years of his life learning ancient Hebrew and reading the ancient Hebrew texts and comparing ancient Hebrew literature. And then he thought it would be a really good idea to go to, I think it was Oxford or Cambridge to get his PhD, you know? And like, that is off my grid, you know? But I got to listen to what he had to say. The etymology of this word, compassion, comes from the Hebrew word for womb. Womb. And if you look into it, elsewhere, it's used with the idea of the swell of compassion and tender mercy and affection that a mother feels for her newborn child. And slightly different variations, it could even be construed to mean the way the... Help me out, what is it called? The, the, not the stomach. Kind of, thank you, Chris Flaw, the stomach. The way the fetus is cradled by the... Uh, Oh, what is the thing that holds it? The crying out loud. Uterus, thank you. Good grief. This is why I'm a pastor, guys, and I'm not in medicine. The womb, thank you, womb. Marlene, you, you are a nurse, and you're 10 feet away from me. Save me when I'm messing up like that. Jeez. So it's about how God cradles you in compassion. He, his heart swells with feelings for you, like a parent's heart, specifically a mother's heart, swells with compassion for his children or her children. Isn't that interesting? Mothers are always her. Blaming the sick thing for these little slips of tongue. That is amazing. That is what God leads with. First thing I want you to know about me, Moses, I'm compassionate. I really care. Not in this hands-off, distant kind of way, but I am deeply moved by all of you. How about that? Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know. That, that really affected me. God's love is intimate and compassionate. It's not a hands-off, abstract kind of love. Another attribute of God's love. We move on through merciful, you know, we see that forgiving, we see that. And then we have this thing that's translated various ways in different translations. Uh, abounding in love and faithfulness. Other translations will say abounding in loving kindness. You know, they're, they're struggling to capture this one Hebrew word. And even though my professors tell me I'm not yet allowed to use ancient words in my sermons because I haven't studied them, I'm going to go ahead and risk this one because it's special. This word that they're trying to translate is hesed, or chesed, as, as you sometimes pronounce it according to the guys that actually spend their lives studying this stuff. And this is God's tenacious covenant faithfulness. This is the idea that God will absolutely not let the people he loves go if there's anything he can do about it. It was God's hesed, his loving kindness, his tenacious faithfulness that made him pick up that cross and march up the hill. It was God's hesed, his tenacious faithfulness that made him keep sending prophets, keep sending men of God, keep sending good kings to his nation as they continually turn their back on him again and again and again over many, many years. And you know what? To be right honest with you, it was this loving faithfulness, this tenacious love of God that found me when I was about 21 years old in my apartment. And we don't have time for total Anthony testimony time, but... <coughs> I had become, in short, the person that I never wanted to be. Like, you didn't have to tell me the stuff I was doing was wrong. I knew it was all wrong. I swore I would never do any of it, and here I'm doing all of it. And I'm getting evicted 
and my pregnant girlfriend lives in another state because we just got in a fight and she left. And I'm like, wow, I'm a train wreck. You know? But my mom drug me to her church. The pastor she made me talk to, I had to go, guys. She was going to buy me cigarettes if I wanted. <laughs> the pastor that she made me talk to gave me this book called Experiencing God. And the guy who wrote the book called me out. He's like, who do you think you are? He's like, Moses, God's number one guy. The guy who was getting this revelation of God's character was a murderer and a fugitive. I had completely forgotten that. Before Moses was called by God, he was a prince in Egypt. He got mad and killed a guy and buried his body in the sand. And when people found out about it, he ran away. He was done with himself, man. He spent 40 years hiding out in the woods. Well, desert, but here it would be woods. You know, I'm making it Michigan. 40 years, and God calls him. And in that moment, I was just broken. Because I realized, like, who do I think I am? Like, that kind of love that just is never done. Ah, I can't say that I've done worse than Moses. I can't shortchange God and say that he won't take me back. There's literally nothing I can do. I've never killed a guy for crying out loud. I hit my knees and I've never been the same. And that's true. God's love is tenacious. Because he has these compassionate, merciful feelings for you, and not just you, but everybody, we're going to get to that next, and because he's absolutely, ruthlessly tenacious about his love, this means that he's also active. Now, have we heard the fairy tale, right? where there's the prince or the knight in shining armor, and he finds out there's a princess trapped in a tower against her will, right? And she's like, help me, help me. But the problem is there's a dragon and like a big angry army of bad dudes that are keeping her hostage. So he puts on his shining armor and he, you know, polishes it all up and he gets on his white horse, it's gotta be white. And with his gleaming sword, you know, he cuts everything down and he rescues the princess and he lives happily ever after. That is not exactly God's heart. It is partly God's heart. Because God does have the fiery heart of a hero. God's love is like that. But we would have to change the story to get in touch with God's heart. We would have to add a little bit of Hosea too. We would have to add a little bit of prodigal son in there. And what we get is the knight in shining armor is the king. And he's married to us. We'll just say the damsel in distress. Who he loves dearly. And she keeps cheating on him with the Lord of Darkness in the kingdom next door. And he knows it's going on. And he covers her shame as much as he can. And he keeps telling her, why are you doing this? I love you. And she treats him worse and worse and worse until finally she says, I'm leaving you. I never loved you. I don't want to see you again. Don't come for me. And she goes to the Lord of Darkness, gets in the castle all by herself, pets the dragon on the way. The evil army salutes her. And she goes up to the tower. Now it's her castle. That's her dragon. And those are her evil soldiers. And she has bonded herself with the evil king. And the good king is hurt. But he gets word, maybe a long time after that, maybe years, that she is deeply regretting it. That she is not happy. That she still loves him. That she regrets it every day. And that there was a way that she could make it better, she would. And then, then, God puts on his shining armor. Then he gets on his white horse. And then he goes with his flashing sword and cuts down that army. 
lays waste to that dragon, blows through the castle doors, knocks the Prince of Darkness out of the way, kicks open the gate, reaches out his hand, and we have an Aladdin moment. And God says, do you trust me? That's God's heart. I did everything to get you back. I waited this whole time. I'm tenacious. I have Hesed. You think I'm going to give up on you? Impossible. Are you still alive? Come with me. But here's what God won't do, incidentally. He's not going to grab her by the hair and drag her back. She and we, I, still have to take his hand and say, yes, I trust you. I'll go back. That's God's tenacious love, though. And if he has to do that twice, he will. Trust me. Don't ask me about it later. Wow. Another cool thing. Cool thing number three. God has a swell of compassion. He feels for people. And his love is tenacious and active. And that love is not reserved to... This is crazy. Did you guys know this? Like, it is not reserved to, like, middle-class white American people. Isn't Isn't that nuts? Like, they taught me that in seminary, actually. It's true. You can totally believe me. Yeah, there are Christians all over the world. It's nuts. God's love is universal. He loves everybody on the planet. And he's always loved everyone. Always, always, always. It was always his plan to have everybody have the opportunity to be part of his people. Always. Read the original call of Abraham. You know, you're going to be a blessing. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He always had a global scope. Always. But sometimes we don't always get that. Enter probably the biggest anti-hero in all of the Bible. Does anybody know who it is? Did you say Judas? Yeah. No, he's just, he's not an anti-hero. He's like just bad. Let, let's say tragic hero or just jerk. I should have said jerk and everybody would have guessed it. It's Jonah. Jonah. Jonah had a unique calling, guys. We're going back in time, okay? Way before the cross, when Israel was still its own kingdom, you know, and it would fight with its neighboring kingdoms. And there was this real bad kingdom, right? And one of their cities was called Nineveh. Nineveh was a bad, bad place. I did some research on Nineveh. They did stuff to people I don't even want to talk about. They enjoyed torturing people. They were just absolutely viciously terrible people. And they were the bully waiting to come down and beat up on Israel. I mean, like, this was kind of like Cold War time, you know, with us in Russia, except it was, you know, I think it was the Assyrian Empire and Israel. Man, things were tense. And this prophet named Jonah gets a word from God, and God says, Jonah, I need you to do me a favor. Go to Nineveh, this evil city that does real bad things. Go there as a Jew. Do me a favor. And tell them I'm going to overthrow their city, because they are doing some real bad stuff. Noah's like, you're out of your mind. He goes the opposite way. We know the story. God drags him back, you know, using fish and whatever else he can. And finally, you know, he's on the shore after this huge ordeal. And I'm going to read it all the way through chapter 3 to the beginning of verse 4. He's just rebelled, gotten caught. God's drug him back in the fish. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Fish spits him up. He's like, oh, I'm glad to be out of there. And God doesn't waste any time. He's like, hey. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, 
It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and this is all he says, check it out, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his message. He's just shouting that to these Ninevites. The Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's really uncomfortable clothes that show your mourning. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off all his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. This is the proclamation that the king of Nineveh issued. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Even animals? Dang, this guy's going over the top. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is a shocker, guys. This is not what Jonah expected. They listen. They go over the top with repentance. And they're not even certain that this foreign god is going to actually relent. The king himself sends out a proclamation that says, who knows? Like, this is the best we can do, though, guys. I'm dead serious. Like, we need to repent. We're violent. We're doing evil stuff. We got to change. They repent. 310. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened Opinion poll. Raise your hands if you think that that's bad news. I don't see any hands. Jonah thought this was the worst news ever. Ever! He goes outside the city, apparently realizes that fire and brimstone is not going to rain from heaven, and he gets so mad because he knows God. Listen to what he says in 4, 1, and 2. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. <laughs> And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall, or what I knew would happen, when I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. What a punk! But you see what he did there? He just quoted Exodus 34, where God reveals his character. He believed so much that that was who God really was. He saw the whole thing coming from the time he was back home. The first day he got the word from the Lord. And God's like, hey, I want you to go tell this city I'm going to overthrow him. He's like, no, because they're going to say I'm sorry, and you're not going to do it. Because you're compassionate, and you love people, and you have this tenacious love thing. And he was mad. He's like, just judge him. Don't, don't tell him you're going to do it. Like, do it from here. Phone in the airstrike, man. And God was like, no. God was making a point, I think. See, Israel in this day and age, back then, had gotten a bit nationalistic, especially our man Jonah. And they thought that them and only them were the people that God loved. And they and only they were the people that God had chosen and was going to have compassion on. They were very special. Everyone else deserved judgment, but certainly not them. I think sometimes we feel this way as individuals. You don't have to say amen out loud, but I, I heard them all in your hearts. God is making a point 
that his love is always universal. Always. Always has been. Always will be. The people we find unlovable, no matter what they're doing, if, you know what, the lifestyles and the activities of the people in Nineveh completely contradicted everything God wanted. These were sinners to the nth degree, if we could use modern lingo. These were people that any good Israelite would have looked at and said, they are on the top of the judgment list. Like, it's bound to happen. Could be Tuesday. They deserve it. It's bad. And God's looking at that and he's saying, wow, that is bad. My judgment is sure to come on that kind of stuff. I love them. I should probably warn them about that. His love is tenacious. His love is compassionate. His love is universal. We need to model that. We need to model that. Let me rephrase that. Not we need to model that. We have permission to model that. We get to model that. Did you guys know that you can walk out of here tonight and love people? You can love angry people. You can love mean people. You can open up to Paul, who loves to write lists of things not to do, and you can read all that stuff about, oh, geez, well, that alternative lifestyle is always in the news, and I know the church doesn't like that. Oh, gosh, oh, we have legislation against that now, and oh, my angry people and wrathful people, and oh, I just don't know about that. You can walk out and love all those people. In fact, if you don't, you're not really modeling the heart of God. You have permission to love compassionately, tenaciously, and universally. You have permission. Now, I say that freely because we spent three weeks talking about all the other attributes of God and who God is. You know, So don't you dare misquote me and twist my words. Listen to the other weeks. But I'll say it again. You have permission to leave here tonight and love everybody compassionately and tenaciously. And in fact, that is how God wants you to live. And that's exciting. That takes the pressure off. And it actually makes me feel a heck of a lot better than being a sullen, angry, judgmental punk like Jonah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, guys. God, thank you so much that you are who you are. Thank you that you are a compassionate God and a merciful God and a loving God and a forgiving God. God, we love who you are and we want to know you better. If there's anybody here who has not given their life to God, I'm going to say a prayer right now. Feel free to pray it with me. I do this every week and every week is the best opportunity yet. Say, Lord, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice for me at the cross. You really died for me and you really rose again. Take my life. I will follow you. You have earned it. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Show me how to love like you love. Live like you live. Give me your character. Show me what it looks like to be your child and follow you until the day I die. And if you already know the Lord, pray this. Lord, help me love more compassionately. Everybody say more compassionately. More compassionately. Oh my goodness. I about put you all to sleep. More compassionately, more compassionately, more tenaciously, more tenaciously, and universally, and universally, like you. <laughs> Amen. All right, thank you guys. I think I had more fun with the wrath sermon. Is that, is that? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry.
hey, we're going to have a prayer team up front right here. If you need anything, if you just gave your life to the Lord, that is awesome. Come see the prayer team. Snag me. And if you need prayer for anything, feel free to go up there. And if not, enjoy some food and some coffee. Thanks for coming, guys. Be blessed. Thank you.